Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It is a sticky, stupid, hot, late August day here, August 24th, 2023. And it's been a while since we have done a landmark, not landmark, sorry, a foundational episode. We're talking about the foundational drugs and topics of oncology pharmacy. Uh, that's because this podcast has been going on for a while. So we've done most of the bread and butter drugs. One we have not done is a Braxane, nanoparticle albumin bound or NAB paclitaxel. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you go back to uh, in the feed and keep keep going back, keep 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 going back all the way back to July of 2018. Uh, that was when we did the um, Foundations of Oncopharm Paclitaxel episode, the solvent-bound or conventional Paclitaxel if you're looking in drug information databases. The brand name Taxol is what we talked about. Uh, I am somewhat uh, disappointed um, in you, uh, listener, because over uh, five years ago during that podcast, I said that I wanted somebody to hike in the Pacific Northwest to the site of the Pacific yew tree where Paclitaxel was discovered and there's a plaque and send a picture of, of you with the plaque. No one's done it and that saddens me. Uh, now, NAB Paclitaxel works the same way as conventional Paclitaxel. Uh, it's a microtubule inhibitor, uh, so it uh, promotes the assembly of microtubules and then paralyzes them. Paclitaxel paralyzes these microtubules, preventing disassembly uh, and works at that G2 M phase um, intersection, so it's a cell cycle specific agent. It works very well, okay? Uh, we're gonna talk about the differences really between NAB, Paclitaxel, and Paclitaxel, because I think there might be some, some misconceptions about this. So, as a refresher, conventional Paclitaxel is very lipophilic. It will not go into solution by itself. It needs a special diluent or solvent in cremophore, which is a castor oil derivative. Now, cremophore, has its own issues in that it can lead to a pretty high rate of hypersensitivity reactions, and for that reason, patients need to be premedicated with a histamine 1 receptor antagonist like diphenhydramine uh, per the label, and H2 receptor antagonist like ranidine, although that probably doesn't matter based on uh, several recent studies suggesting the inclusion of famotidine ranidine doesn't make a difference in, in hypersensitivity reaction rates. So they need the H1, seeming not the H2 receptor antagonist, and then dexamethasone, or a corticosteroid. Um, what NAB paclitaxel does is it homogenizes paclitaxel with albumin. So it's not a covalent bond, it's not covalently bound uh, paclitaxel to albumin. It's a whole bunch of albumin, like a vial of, of NAB paclitaxel has 100 milligrams of paclitaxel, and 900 milligrams of albumin. It's essentially a colloid suspension. So it's tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of albumin with a few paclitaxel molecules bound in between, kind of suspended in this, this um, protein uh, matrix. And it's 130 uh, nanometers, which is where the nanoparticle part of this comes from. Um, now, because it is in a, a colloid suspension, it goes into solution very easily. It does not require the cremophore diluent, which means you don't need those pre-medications, which means you don't need the inline filter and the, and, and the special 
what people often call taxol tubing. It means you don't have to give a three-week infusion over three hours. You can give NAB paclitaxel over 30 minutes without the risk of hypersensitivity reaction or those pre-medications. Um, so it is a, a, a cleaner drug delivery system, uh, NAB paclitaxel. There are some potential advantages to this. Uh, NAB paclitaxel, um, you know, besides being able to be given faster and not having that risk of hypersensitivity reactions, there is some, um, some other benefits here in that you actually end up with a higher free fraction of unbound paclitaxel compared to conventional paclitaxel. You get a higher Cmax by quite a bit, a higher AUC or total drug exposure by quite a bit, a larger volume of distribution, which means the drug is going farther into the body, we think, maybe to tumors, uh, but also a higher clearance, so a little bit higher AUC if you compare uh, one apple to a different apple. There's also um, a, a decent body of evidence uh, in the preclinical um, literature that NAD paclitaxel delivers more paclitaxel to tumor cells than conventional paclitaxel. And this could be for a couple reasons. One is, you know, conventional paclitaxel is sort of saturated by this cremophore and is not as, that's one of the reasons you have a, a lower Cmax if you measure unbound paclitaxel. It's kind of sopped up, soaked up by the, the, um, uh, the cremophore. Now, conventional paclitaxel, we know it works really well with lots and lots of cancer. So try not to look too much at the cute preclinical data. We have lots and lots of clinical data showing that conventional paclitaxel is, is really a fantastically efficacious uh, anti-cancer drug. But there is compelling preclinical data that albumin-bound paclitaxel crosses endothelial cells faster, uh, has greater affinity for uh, receptor-mediated transcytosis, and things like spark protein saturation, which are proteins, by the way, spark stands for secreted protein acidic and rich in cysteine. Catchy. Uh, anyway, um, think of it this way. Instead of doing the, the mumbo jumbo science, tumors need lots and lots of stuff to grow. They're growing out of control, right? So they need more glucose, for example. We take advantage of that with PET scans. They need more amino acids because they're making, making lots and lots of protein or making lots of, replicating lots of DNA and that DNA that encodes for protein, they gotta make that protein. So they are actually gonna try to get as much protein as possible so they can break that down into the amino acids they need to make whatever protein is gonna you know, help the cancer cell survive better. Well, that includes albumin, our body's most common protein. So there are lots of preclinical data, for example, in, in breast cancer cell lines that albumin-bound paclitaxel Paclitaxel for paclitaxel gets about a third more paclitaxel delivered to those tumor cells than conventional paclitaxel. Now, you could account for that for dosing uh, and, and just increase the dose of your conventional paclitaxel by a third um, as long as the toxicity profile uh, would be tolerable for that. And that's why we have to rely on our, uh, our clinical studies. So, um, conventional or um, NAB paclitaxel has three FDA approvals for metastatic breast cancer for non-small cell lung cancer, and then for pancreatic cancer, which is probably the use that we see most often, and we'll talk about some of this uh, tumor delivery a bit more. Um, the dose for metastatic breast cancer is 260 milligrams per meter squared every three weeks. Uh, that was compared to uh, conventional paclitaxel, 175 every three weeks. Um, at that dosing, you saw you know a little bit higher um, overall um, response rate, 33% versus 19%. Um, again, but we don't typically give paclitaxel every three weeks for breast cancer, so not a not a great comparison there uh, from an FC standpoint. 
Um, no difference in overall survival, though. But because of that response rate, it did get an FDA, FDA approval for that. Uh, the lung cancer approval is 100 milligrams of nabpaclitaxel weekly with carboplatin. And that was shown to have a better response rate than every three-week carboplatin or, um, and every three conventional paclitaxel. So again, we are given a weekly, in this case, it's an apple to pear comparison, weekly abraxane versus every three-week taxol in conjunction with carboplatin. Interestingly, and I wasn't aware of this, in that non-small cell lung cancer study that got nabpaclitaxel approved, there was a higher response rate in the nabpaclitaxel group, 33% versus 25%, which was statistically significant. Most of that was in the squamous cell population where there was a 41% response rate in these advanced metastatic lung cancer patients receiving nabpaclitaxel compared to 24% with conventional paclitaxel. So, so a little bit of an efficacy sign there in the squamous cell population. Uh, now for this reason, and because conventional paclitaxel is given with steroids, and kind of our go-to treatment for metastatic squamous cell carcinoma of the lung these days would be carboplatin, plus a taxane, like paclitaxel, conventional orb, albumab, plus pembrolizumab or an immune checkpoint inhibitor. And we know from, we think we know that perhaps the steroid given with conventional paclitaxel might decrease the effectiveness of the immune checkpoint inhibitor. We can look to the, the triple negative breast cancer population to see that atezolizumab with conventional paclitaxel was a negative study, but atezolizumab with uh, NAD paclitaxel without that steroid premedication was a positive study. Um, now, in non-small cell lung cancer, you know, these immune checkpoint inhibitors are in the body for a long period of time. Um, I looked for this. I can't find any data that, that looks at, um, uh, you know, like a forest plot of NAD paclitaxel versus conventional, if that made a difference. Um, my guess is it probably does not. Um, and if we look at the cost in, for the lung cancer data, for 100 milligrams per meter squared, assuming uh, an East Tennessee uh, BSA of two for these adults, and you get three doses in a cycle, days one, eight, 15, uh, that's gonna cost about 10 to $11,000 per cycle with NAB paclitaxel. For conventional taxol, uh, that's 200 milligrams per meter squared. That's the big boy dosing, one dose every three weeks. You're talking 60 to $200 using, uh, you know, commonly available pricing data. So, you know, you're talking about a drug that's more than 20 times more expensive. Um, so probably not worth the cost for theoretical advantages until we see uh, actual uh, hard patient-oriented outcomes data, like overall survival is better uh, for these patients. Um, and where we see this drug the most is in pancreatic cancer uh, in combination with gemcitabine. A pivotal study from years ago, there is a podcast way back in the feed about summarizing basically the treatment of metastatic pancreatic cancer and the pivotal studies that got us to where we are today. One of those studies was, was gemcitabine plus nabpaclitaxel, which showed an overall survival benefit compared to just gemcitabine alone. There is a long history of paclitaxel being studied, conventional paclitaxel being studied in pancreatic cancer, showing no benefit. There's a, there's a SWOG study published in JCO in 1997. They gave these poor patients 250 milligrams per meter squared of paclitaxel. It's the highest dose I've seen of paclitaxel outside of like, like some experimental or like an autotransplant. It's a lot of paclitaxel 250 milligrams squared over 24 hours, really taking advantage of that cell cycle specific mechanism. Then they had to give them GCSF support actually as part of the protocol. So big dose, they're not underdosing paclitaxel in the study, they're giving a big dose of paclitaxel and the response rate in a little under 40 patients 
was under 8%, 7.7%. Three people out of 39 had a response, one complete, two partial. There are studies of paclitax with traditional gemcitabine that were disappointing. Um, so traditional paclitaxel did not show benefit in pancreatic cancer. And pancreatic cancer is a, is a disease that has, the, the analogy I use is in your patients that have a prosthetic knee, you know, a knee replacement, and they get a, a prosthetic infection, a joint infection. There is a biofilm that can, that can form on top of that prosthesis, that, and it's hard for antibiotics to penetrate that biofilm. Pancreatic cancer has something similar to a biofilm. It's a very dense extracellular matrix that makes it difficult for drugs to get to pancreatic cancer cells. And that's the theory why nab-paclitaxel showed this benefit with gemcitabine compared to just gemcitabine alone, when conventional paclitaxel didn't show really any benefit in pancreatic cancer because of this albumin-bound, this albumin-colloid suspension with paclitaxel. These tumors are taking up more of the paclitaxel because of this albumin co-formulation uh, and therefore getting some benefit from it. Um, from a, so, so that's really the, the uses of, of nab-paclitaxel. From a, a side effect standpoint, you see the same side effects. You see neutropenia. You see peripheral neuropathy. We don't have a ton of great head-to-head -head comparisons. You know, in the, the metastatic breast cancer uh, data, you see um, more neutropenia with uh, solvent-bound paclitaxel, but you see more neuropathy with nab-paclitaxel, because you are getting a higher, a higher Cmax, uh, which makes sense. Um, if you look in the, the lung cancer data, uh, weekly nab-paclitaxel compared to every three weeks um, conventional paclitaxel, you're seeing less neuropathy actually with nab-paclitaxel, um, but, uh, but more thrombocytopenia and less neutropenia. Uh, the, the cytopenia, I think, is probably just noise. It seems to cause about this, the same amount of cytopenia uh, but the, the neuropathy can be a little bit different, um, a little bit lower. Uh, and in that lung cancer data, you're give, only given 100 milligrams of nab-paclitaxel a week. So again, the toxin is going to be dose-dependent, but pretty similar uh, in regards to it, it, its toxicity profile minus that hypersensitivity reaction. That's, that's the key thing there. So, so that's nab-paclitaxel. Some really notable differences in the pharmaceutical formulation. Uh, mechanistically, uh, it works the same. Uh, theoretically and... More than hypothesis, it's not a hypothesis. There's, there's, I think, a sound theory that there's greater paclitaxel delivery with nab paclitaxel. Don't necessarily have outcomes data saying that it is better than conventional paclitaxel. In my opinion, outside of the pancreatic cancer space, um, so that is that's nab paclitaxel, uh, a good drug to know about. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on the app formerly known as Twitter at PharmDeetNib. You can follow the podcast on uh, on that app, on Instagram, and on threads at Uncle Farm Pod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.